Good morning. Hope you are well. This begins a continues a series of messages uh, that we started last week, and uh, it doesn't get easier week by week. I promise you that. Uh, as as much as I um, sense that God is leading us to this series, I'm looking for Him leading us out of this series, uh, and looking forward to that. However. We do need this time. As we shared last week, and you saw, saw in, in uh, testimonial form, uh, three stories of people in our church, some are in this room right now, that are going through loss and pain and suffering. Some happened decades ago, but they're still living in that mourning, painful reality of the absence of somebody or the absence of a dream that they're having to live with. And how difficult that is to, to live in that reality. I shared with you two of our deacons. And even this week uh, uh, about the struggles and the pains and the sufferings that they were going through. Bob and Jeanette Myers' story, even this week, has continued to unfold in even greater depths of pain and despair. And I'm not going to go into all that right now. But just realize we've got to pray for one another. This is difficult living life here on planet Earth, and it doesn't get easier, I don't think. Sometimes it may ebb and flow and be easier, but at the same time, we know just around the corner uh, this past week, and I did not know going into this past week that there would be continued layoffs in other companies and around the area. And we know people, you know people, that have lost their jobs we had one of our members in the first gathering, uh, Jim and Kathy Vinsky. Jim has been with his company for 38 years. And this week, every 15 minutes, somebody else was getting called in and his number was called. After 38 years of being with the company, and when he shared that with us, or shared that with me, it was very, it was very raw and real and very just, just had happened and, and was about to, so the reality of it was there. And I know, and at the same time, Jim, you got to know Jim. Jim's an amazing individual. Jim had this perspective about him. And I just want you to hang on to the word perspective. Because when we're talking about pain and suffering, we're talking about being betrayed, when we're talking about injustice, when we're talking about all this ugliness that's out there, perspective is going to be one of the keys to this whole being able to navigate through this. And that's what the theme of the message is today. In fact, but Jim, I go on and talk about Jim. So Jim shares with me a quote and he said it like this. He said, pain is your friend. It tells you that you're still alive. So that's a perspective. All right. If you're feeling pain, you know that you're still alive. And so that's one angle about it. And then he goes on and talks about, Mike, you call the end of the rope and the end of the rope being the bad thing. And at the end of the rope, he says, but if you're at the end of the rope, realize this. If you're climbing a mountain, you still got room to climb. You can continue to climb as long as you have a piece of rope in your hand. If you have an end of the rope and you're drowning in a sea of water right now, You have hope that there is still hope and there is still life because you have rope. And so there's some perspective in there. It got me thinking about perspective uh, and the whole perspective of pain. There's a quote that I I can remember hearing at the gym one day in that pain means weakness is leaving your body. So whatever your view perspective on pain is, uh, maybe it needs to be shaped today. 
Maybe it needs to be tailored today. And uh, we hope to do that in this series, not to just whitewash over it. I'm not going to try to give you some platitudes and try to say it's all going to be better. Just take this pill. Just memorize this verse. In fact, it will be difficult, extremely difficult at times. And one of the verses I want to share with you today, and you'll understand really quickly how it ties in. So be finding the book of Ecclesiastes way back in the Old Testament. Open your Bibles in the middle. You might find the book of Psalms and then go to your right. You'll find the book of Proverbs. You'll find the, the book of Ecclesiastes after that. So find the book of Ecclesiastes and we'll be there in just a moment. And we're going to look at one of these verses. But you're going to see one of the phrases in one verse. In fact, we're going to narrow it down to just two words in this one verse. And we're going to zero in on those two words. Because I figure if we can do these two words well, as we go through valleys, as we go through adversity, as we face difficult days, then we will be on our way to a better perspective through the pain. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, Let's uh, follow along as I read it. It says this, In the day of prosperity, don't we all want to sign up for that day? In the day of prosperity, what are you supposed to be? Joyful. Doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. You don't need a whole lot of training for that. Good days, you get happy, you put on your happy pants and you just dance. You do a jig or something like that. But what do you do about in the day of adversity? What do you do about when things don't go so well? And in the day of adversity, pause, consider, connect, consider God. God has made the one as well as the other. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Consider God. In the days of adversity, in the days of disappointment, in the days of heartache, consider. Now, I I tell you, I want to narrow it down. I want to think about the one word consider. Because what is that? Adversity. In the days of adversity, consider. If we just take that one word and we break it down. It's the Hebrew word. The Old, Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The Hebrew word, reah. And so I dove into that one word. I thought, what does it mean to consider? What does it mean to, 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 to do that? And it's interesting that that word is actually used most of the time. It's used between a prophet and God. God would communicate. He would re'ah. He would reveal. He would give knowledge to a prophet. And the prophet would then take that knowledge, apply it to his life, and then dispense that knowledge, whether it be good or oracles of bad or, or hey, get, get your life straight or, or hey, hang in there. Don't, don't quit. But here's what it is. It's this whole idea of connecting with God. Again, let me emphasize this. This word was used most of the time in the Old Testament for a prophet. And who was a prophet? A prophet was one who connected intimately with God. So what are we supposed to do in the days of adversity? We are to re'ah. We are to connect. We are to link up in a supernatural spiritual, mystical kind of way where we connect with God in this powerful union with God and He gives us understanding. He gives us perspective. I come back to that word that you're going to hear me use again and again and again today. That when we are in adversity, that we should gain the perspective of God, that we should consider God, that we should be asking God, God, it's okay to ask God why. Now, He may not answer you. He might give you the answer you want. But when the days of adversity, the first place we should turn, 
is to an intimate relationship with God Almighty. Now, we talked about this last week and the whole idea of being in the end of the rope in the series title and no pain, no gain. And if there's no pain, no gain, and what's that gain? That gain is that we might be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. I want to be, you want to be, you should want to be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And how do you get there? But if you read the verses prior to that, you get there through trials. You get there for not getting everything you want. You get there for getting told no. You get there for for feeling pain. You go through trials. That's how you get there. Perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Now, what I want to do is I want to go to the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, and I want to tie it together with the, the book of James, chapter 1, verse 4 today, and I want to tie them together. What is, how do I get there? And the way I get to perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, as we talked a little bit about last week, is I'm going to have to have the right perspective. I'm going to have to have the right focus. I'm going to have to, in the day of adversity, say it with me, consider God. Now, you, that was really weak. If you didn't hear it, I didn't hear it either. Let's say it again. In the day of adversity, I love it. That's much better. Consider God. Reflect on God. Focus in on God. Let Him become the voice in your head, not all the other voices in your head, not the other voices in, in life. Consider God in the day of adversity. Now, what do we do, though, most of the time? What's your default of the hardwired system of your, of your life? of the operating system of your life, how do you respond when things don't go your way? How do you respond when, when you experience a job layoff like Jim Vinsky after 38 years? What is your natural response to pain and suffering and injustice? I think there's several of them that, that we can look at and, and, and you can jot them down if you want. They're just, the, they're just sidebar conversations and you write your own list out. But these are the ones that I kind of sorted through. One is I want to punch pain back. You punch me, I want to punch you. You betray me, I want to betray you. You hurt me, I want to hurt you. I want to even it. I want, I want to get things, I want to even the score, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I can start quoting Bible verses at you for getting even with you. That's not necessarily the way that it works. Another, sadly to say, is pills. A lot of people will turn to substance Substance in the body to numb what's going on in the life. Listen, it may not even be physically. It may be emotional pains and scars and wounds. But they cannot live. Listen, listen, listen. They cannot live with the dark shadows of life. All they know to do is to medicate it. I don't say medication is bad. I don't say there's not a place for that. But what happens many times is we run to pills. We run to substance to medicate the pain, to numb the pain that goes on. If I were to ask you what were, and I'm kind of leading into this, so it's kind of giving it away context clues here. But if I was to ask you what was the number one cause of accidental death in America? According to the CDC, it is no longer an automobile accident. The number one cause of death, accidental death in America today is prescription drug overdose. People using drugs to medicate and not getting enough medication so they get more medication. They go to another doctor, they get more medication. Listen to this, it is more than heroin, cocaine, and methamphetamines combined is drug overdose of prescription drugs. Pleasures is another way we medicate. In fact, if you were to look at the list of my list of the number one ways I medicate my pain would be pleasures. Listen, I don't want to think about life. I go to a movie. 
I don't want to think about life. There's a piece of chocolate cake. Eat the cake. Forget the cho- piece part. The problem with eating the piece of the, the, the chocolate cake is that then you feel fat and you, and you got to go out and buy clothes. So then you do retail therapy. And then that just adds another cycle to it because now you got debt that you got to pay for because you pay for the retail therapy because you ate the chocolate cake because of the pain that you got in your life. You see how it goes? It's, just, there's, it's, it's, it's endless. But what you do is we end up chasing pleasures and we can't get enough pleasures to medicate the pain because the pain comes back when the pleasure goes away. You're under the arms of another person. You seek out a, a fake relationship online through pornography or anything like that, some kind of cheap ticket to get over the pain. Another one commonly used is a parachute. Run. Hey, it's bad, it's tough. Get out of here. That relationship's bad. Get out of that relationship, go to another relationship. It's worse than the last relationship. Get out of that job, go to another job. Get out of that home, go to another home. Get out of that debt, go to more debt. Pile your debt on top of you. you. Whatever it is, again, we just parachute from one thing into another. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Finish the statement. In the day of adversity, whenever the pain comes on, whenever the betrayal comes on, whenever the loss comes on, stop. Pause. Ray awe with God. Connect with God. And, and let Him begin to steer you through the pain and the loss and the loneliness and the hurt and the, that, that you may be going through. So we're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes today. Let me give you a little bit of a, of a, of a background to the whole story. So this is not the only book that Solomon writes. Solomon writes three different books. And they're kind of over three different epics of, of, of his life. The first one he writes, believe it or not, it's erotica material. It, no kidding. You read it for yourself. Young Jewish boys before the bar mitzvah were not allowed to read from the book of Song of Solomon. That's how intensely erotic it is. But it's about how much Solomon loves his wife and his wife loves, uh, loves Solomon. It's this beautiful relationship. And listen, erotic is not a, ne- a negative thing. It's not a, uh, sexuality is not wrong. In fact, this coming, um, this coming year, uh, we're going to have in April, we're going to have uh, Ron Deal... Uh, come and he's going to do two conferences for us. He's going to do a step family conference. So if you're a step family, a blended family, you know somebody's a blended family. On a weekend, a Friday and a Saturday, we're going to have him here. But on Sunday morning, he's going to be here. Uh, he's going to do Friday, Saturday, step smart step families. And he's going to do Sunday morning. Listen, Sunday morning, he's going to do a PG-13 uh, message. Sunday night, it will be rated R, all right? Do not bring back your kids, all right? Do it at your own discretion, all right? So that's going to be in a few months, okay? So all that to say, because sexuality is not bad. It's not evil. It's not wrong. It's not a topic you can't talk about at church. It's not something my grandmother would blush herself if she was still alive, you know, but the fact that I even said that word in, in church. But here, it's, it's not wrong, okay? Song of Solomon's all about it. That was the first book. Second book he wrote was Proverbs. It's just this compilation. He didn't write all the Proverbs, but he wrote well, most of them. It's a compilation of all this wisdom, little sound bites. The Queen of Sheba was coming to listen to him. Everyone was coming seeking the advice of Solomon. He was so wise. It's one of the things that helped the nation become so strong and mighty that it was. It had such great wisdom. And we have the book of Proverbs to help guide us through life. 
You can read a Proverbs a day for the rest of your life, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Read one a day for the rest of your life, and you will still not get it all. It's that densely packaged. It's beautiful and powerful. We're not going to be in either of those books. Some of y'all said, oh, shucks, I thought it was Song of Solomon Day. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes. Totally different book. Dan Allender said this about the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is a thick, blood-red meat to a world that prefers a more easily digested milk of simple solutions. This is not a book of simple solutions. In fact, Ecclesiastes is a book of great frustration. The book of Ecclesiastes is a book where he is at the end of his life. He's writing the memoirs of his life. He's he's looking back on life and he is very frustrated with life being unfair. Of life being painful. Listen to this. He he, he says wickedness is everywhere. You can't get away from it. Ecclesiastes 3.16 says in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. Well, that makes sense. Place of judgment. Well, no, wickedness shouldn't be in judgment. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. Everywhere you go, there's wickedness. You can't get away from it. There's wrong. There's injustice everywhere you go. Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, another book I would highly recommend you read if you've got the time and the the effort. It says the book of Ecclesiastes points to cases of unfair, unmerited, and seemingly inexplicable suffering. I want you to zero in on that last phrase. The book of Ecclesiastes are cases of unfair, unmerited, seemingly inexplicable suffering. That's what this book's about. Don't you ever feel, don't you wake up in the morning and think, oh, you know, that person got laid off and they deserve it. Or that person got sick and they deserved it. And that, no, you don't. I mean, yeah, you wish some people would get sick and go off. But in reality... It doesn't always happen that way. The person who got the promotion over you maybe didn't even deserve it. Maybe somebody scratching somebody else's back and, you know, what was it? Was it a good old boy club? Life isn't fair. It's unfair. It's unmerited. And it's seemingly inexplicable suffering at times. How do you sort through this? This is what Ecclesiastes is about. Chapter 7 is where we'll look today. Chapter 7 is Solomon trying to help navigate us through an unfair world where it's unfair, unmerited, seemingly inexplicable suffering. He's trying to help us to navigate through that. Now, as we navigate through that, he gives us four different perspectives that we should have on life as we move forward. Now, he mentions 11 different times the word better, 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 better. Now, listen, through suffering, you will either become bitter or you will become better. I hope you will become better. And that's exactly what he's trying to do. And he says it 11 different times in the chapter from verse 1 to verse, seven, verse 14 where we were focusing today. He uses it seven times. Seven times better, 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 better. Now he uses the word tov in the Hebrew language which is actually the same word God used when he created the heavens and the earth and he said, and it was good. It was tov. So God is actually going to work in our lives through pain to help us to become Tove, better, good, if we have the right perspective. What's our perspective? Number one is that it's better to have a good name than a good time. 
I'm going to give you some short Proverbs of my own, okay, that I've driven from this passage of Scripture, but this is the first one. That it's better to have a good name than a good time. When you read people's headlines or you read the tabloids or you watch the news and you see names like Justin Bieber's, Miley Cyrus, Paris Hilton, and the Kardashians, you just kind of chuckle and laugh. At least I do. I have to admit it. But it's really not right because they're real people. The real people that have real issues, that have brought a lot of pain on themselves. And that I guess one of the reasons we kind of laugh and go, when are you ever going to learn? When are you ever going to figure it out? But I want to say that to some people that I know. You're going to keep doing the same old thing, expecting different results? The reality is that they're focusing on a good time. They're focusing on pleasures. They're, they're focusing on gain. They're focusing on success. And they're forgetting the character. Now, hear me what I'm about to say. These people and people like them, and they're not even in the tabloids. Some people can go. Their talents and their abilities and their skills will take them where their character can't keep them. And every time in the Bible it's referring to name, 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 it's referring to a person's character. Star athletes can go and their talents can take them where their character can't keep them. Successful business people will go and climb and high, 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 and their their talents will take them, but their character cannot keep them. That's why in Proverbs already, in Proverbs 22, verse 1, he said, A good name is more desirable than great riches. A good name than being wealthy. In verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we're there. He says, A good name is better, tov is better than precious ointment. A good name. So two times he says in Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes, a good name, a good character. Character counts. Character is more important. Because character says who you really are. Who you really, 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 really are. Beware that no man, according to Charles Haddon Spurgeon, great British pastor of old, beware that no man more than yourself. We carry our worst enemies within us. It's not the people on the outside sabotaging us. And God may take us through seasons of pain and darknesses of pain, and He may do this so that it will get out the dross out of our life, the lack of bad character, the bad name out of our life, so that we can be people of character. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 6 and 7, he really dives into this. He says, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, some of you can identify with that word grieving. Loss, pain, mourning. So we've been grieved by various trials so that, purpose clause, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, perishes, uh, uh, perishes though it be tested by fire. He used the word tested. He used the word fire. He used the word trials. Why does he do that? He does that. He allows us to go through pain so that that name, that character... He may tell you no. He may, he may not give you that promotion because he's trying to build character in you. He's trying to build something in you that's not quite there yet. He's trying to get rid of something. So that last clause may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor and the revelation of Jesus Christ so that my character, my name, so that my life can be an act of worship. God may send me through 
valleys of pain. Alan Redpath said it like this, when God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible person and he crushes it. Some of y'all are feeling like you're under the vice right now. God may be working on your name. My September this past year was a black September for me. And I devoured a book called Leading with a Limp. Dan Allender, I quoted from him earlier, makes this statement in the book. He said, character, character can grow immeasurably as I suffer through the loss of illusions, the death of dreams, the shattering of success. Suffering grafts our heart to grace. I can tell you this, I don't want a tabloid character that will be shattered with pain. I want a proven character that is proven through pain. Your name is more important than a good time. Number two, it's better to have a perspective through life than the pleasures for life, all right? Understand this. It's better, it's better, it's tove. Even though I know we want the pleasures, we want the new cars, we want the fancy, we want the name, we want the light, name and lights, we want, we want, we want, we want. I get it, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's better to have perspective through life. And if you have to give up some of that to have perspective, then so be it. Let that be. John Piper said it so well. He said, pleasure has ruined far more people than pain has. Think about it. You know very many people who've been tested and didn't come through better? I know there's some, but what about how many people have been spoiled and broken and soured because of their pleasures? You take your child, you want to take them to Disney World, take them to Africa. Take them to Africa, not in a sort of discipline, but take them to Africa to open up their eyes to see the reality of life in the world, how things really are. Let them them go to the well and draw water where over half of the world does not have clean drinking water as we know of clean drinking water. Let them go to a well that draws water and they draw water and let them eat with other kids out of a common bowl and let, let them wear the same clothes all week long because that's how real world is. Think, Mike, it's, it's cruel, it's unusual. We, we need to give our kids every opportunity uh, for life and flourishment and pleasures out there. Look at verse 2. Again, we need wisdom in our life. Verse 2, it is better, it's better, it's better, it's tove to go to the house of mourning. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Let me paraphrase that for you. It's better to go to a funeral home than a frat house. No, I know it's more fun than a frat house, but it's better. If you're going to make it and navigate through life and have a right perspective on life, it's better for you to go to a funeral home and to walk through the dark valleys of life. Because what is it? Mankind, and, uh, because, uh, excuse me, the house of feasting, it, for this is the end of all mankind. We're all going to end up there. And the sooner we get that perspective on our life, the better. I've gone to courthouse before to be a character witness or to stand with somebody through a, a trial. I remember the first time I went. I just sat in the courtroom. I was just sitting in the courtroom. You know, you never know when they're going to be called up, who's going to be called up. So you may sit through three or four different life stories. 
in 3D unfolding right before your eyes. You think your life's bad? You think it's difficult? Go hang at the courthouse. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make a show of anything. I'm just trying to give us some perspective on life. Perspective on life? Let me, let me talk about Lorraine Hunt. Longtime member of our church, great family, Paul and Lorraine, incredible family. July 10th, 2013. She was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer that had already spread into her liver. Now, you don't mess cancer and liver together. It's almost immediate. The average lifespan under therapy and treatment and, and, and care and watchful eye of somebody at that level of cancer, uh, this is July 10th, 2013, is about 13 months. So maybe July or, or August, one year later of 2014, Lorraine's not supposed to be with us again at that point. She's supposed to be gone. To this day, Lorraine is with us. She's lived twice her expected life expectancy. That was a miracle. That's a miracle. And she still lives with cancer. She still has to deal with that. She still deals with the pain of it. But no longer, if you look at Lorraine and you see her, and she was in our first gathering, sitting right over here. And if you look at Lorraine, she's still functioning. She's still going. In fact, after she was diagnosed with cancer, you know what she does? She signs up for a mission trip for a global adventure to Cambodia and works in an orphanage. Well, that wasn't enough. She came back and she signed up for, to go to Zambia and to work in the orphanage in Zambia that we're helping to build. Here's Lorraine with stage four cancer in her breast, in her liver, and she is still going. I asked her this past week. I said, Lorraine, why'd you keep doing that? People crawl in holes. People give up. Why didn't you do that? In her own words, and I quote, I guess I decided that no matter what, I wasn't going to stop living while I was dying. Because we're all dying. See, when you stop measuring your life in years and you start measuring it in, in months and you start measuring it in days and you start measuring it in hours, then you're really getting in the perspective on life. And pain sometimes has to come on us so that we will begin to see life like that. Let's all read this verse together, Psalm 90, verse 12, because I think this is really what wisdom looks like. I think it's going to be there. It's not. Uh, there it is. So read it with me. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts into wisdom. If we will start looking at our life in a deeper perspective, number three, it is better to hear tough words of truth than sweet words of a fool. Finish this statement for me. All right? Sticks and stones may break your bones, but whoever wrote that was an idiot. <laughs> words hurt. Words cut. Words crush. I literally talked to somebody in the, before the first gathering, came up and told me about their life of being told as a child growing up how they were an idiot. And to this day, that voice continues to play out in their head. Now, we're not talking about those kind of tough words. 
Well, we are talking about people in your life, people in my life, who will tell us what we need to hear when we don't want to hear it in a spirit that we need to hear it. And they do it with love and kindness, but they yet they do it forthright and we need to hear it. Listen, that can still be painful because we're hearing things we don't want to hear. And say, listen, I'm talking about about half a dozen ways we experience pain today, if you haven't noticed. And just another one is just listening to words that come from us, come from other people. Look at verse 4. He says, The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, and the heart of the uh, fools is in the house of mirth. And it is better, Tov, it is Tov, for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise. It's better for someone to speak truth into your life, even if you don't want to hear it. But this is not new. Solomon spoke of this a lot. Proverbs 17, rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows to a fool. You can't change a fool. They're just going to keep being foolish. But a wise person will hear rebuke, and even though it hurts, it will change them. Proverbs 10, 17, the one who follows instructions is on the path of life, but the one who rejects correction goes astray. Words hurt, but they change us. They put us on the path to life. He who, often, he who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Listen, if you've heard something this week, this month, this year that's still seething inside of you, get some godly somebody in your life and check it out with them. Say, I heard this about me. Is it true? Do I, do I really need to change my attitude? Lean in. Even though it may hurt. There's other Proverbs. Jot these down. I don't have time to read them. Proverbs 12.1, Proverbs 15.5, Proverbs 25, 27.5, 27.17, 29.15. All of those deal with the idea of you hearing words that hurt that actually create life inside of you. Number four, it's better to persevere to the end (laughs) than to keep starting over. Life is a marathon. Run it well. It's It's not a bunch of short sprints either. But yet some people, they'll not like their job, they'll quit it. They'll not like this relationship, they'll quit it. They'll not, they'll they'll quit. Listen to these words, verse 8, better, tov, is is the end of a thing than its beginning. Now, we celebrate beginnings. We celebrate births. We celebrate marriages. We celebrate beginnings. Anniversaries of when you started your career. We celebrate beginnings. But listen, let's think about it. It's better the end of a thing, the end of a matter, than the beginning. What's he saying? He's saying the reality is those people who are able to go the distance, to do the time, to put in the effort, they're, they're the ones. They're the ones that are really going to pay off. Yes, it's going to be tough, and yes, you're going to get tired, and yes, you're going to get bored, and yes, there's going to be difficulties. Let's talk about one of those areas. Because for most of us in this room, thank God, you're never going to get the pink slip from the boss. And I hope you never get one of those bad reports from the doctor. Maybe the most painful part of your life is your marriage. Maybe the most painful part that you're sitting right next to him right now and you don't want to be. What's that like? 
Oh, just start over. Go get a new one. It, it, it bothers me deeply when I hear somebody say, well, you know, I used to love them and I don't love them anymore. Since when is that love? Love never fails. Love doesn't end. So I don't know what they're describing, but it's not love. Listen, the whole idea here is that we stay in there. The end of a matter is better than the beginning. Lori and I, and I know you all know this, you heard us talk about it. We've been talking 25 years of marriage. I know it's not perfect, and we don't have a perfect marriage. And yes, we've gotten bored, and yes, we've had lots of fights. And yes, uh, you know, we, we've learned the humanity of each other, and we're still... In fact, I'll tell you this. If I'm lying, I'm dying, all right? I'm more and more passionately in love with her today than I was 25 years ago. It's hands down. Hey, how can that be? I mean, because you're older, when you got kids. Don't you get bored with each other? No, we spice it up. We add flavor. We do what we can. We invest in our marriage because we realize the end of a matter is better than the beginning. We're not just going to celebrate the beginning. How does all this work together? How do I deal with the pain of a relationship or the pain of character loss? Maybe I've I've done something that's hurt my character. How do I deal with the pain of, of, of all of life that's out there? How do I deal with it? Verse 13 gives us a great verse. Consider. It's the same word that I just used. It's in verse 14, he uses it in verse 13. Consider the work of God. So it's not only consider God, but consider the work of God. What is God able to do? God who made it crooked can also make it straight. The one who allowed pain to come in will also allow pain to come out. The, the one who, 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 who maybe is you're walking with him and it's not all everything you want it to be. Listen, he can bring hope to that. Another Ecclesiastes verse that you just need to put on the mirror and memorize it this week. He hath made everything beautiful in its time. It, it may mean that you have to go through deep, dark valleys of pain, but in its time, it will be beautiful. Mike, you're just giving us nice platitudes to land the plane today. No. I'm not. I wish, I wish I had a pill. I wish this series was going to tell you a quick, easy path to avoid pain and suffering. And we'll talk about how to avoid some, but some of it I'm really focusing on this tough stuff, the stuff that's unavoidable, stuff that comes to us. The miscarriage, the broken dreams, the broken promises, the hurts and the pains of life. That made you think, What did I do to deserve this? And maybe you didn't do anything, but it's just life punching you. Why didn't God take it all away? Here's the beauty of God is he's in the process of doing that. He's in the process of doing that. He's taking it away. When he came the first time, listen to this, he came to deal with the number one issue of sin in mankind, of sin in our heart. He came to deal with that. And and again, Keller, if I can quote from him, Jesus did not come to earth the first time to bring justice, but rather to bear it. He took on pain. He came not with a sword in his hands, but with nails through his hands. The Christian teaching for centuries has been this. Jesus died on the cross in our place, taking the punishment of our sins, our our sins deserve. So that someday, 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 he could return to earth and end this evil without destroying us all. That is the gospel. That is the truth of God. 
that he came and he started a process that, that yes, he would take on the greatest, darkest, painful moment of humanity. He would take it on so that we could start living in freedom from pain. Even though we may still go through pain, we have a hope that there will be a day, there will be a time, there will be a place where there is no more pain. And we have to have that right perspective. So in days of anxiety, what are we to do? We're to consider God. Connect with Him at a much deeper level. A Hebrews version of that, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because He, with joy in His heart, endured the cross. The joy in cross should never be used in the same sentence. They are not interlocking. But he, with joy in his heart, took on the cross, took on our pain so that we can anticipate and live in peace. Even though pain may all be around us, even though pain may even be in us, even though pain that we still have inside of us something of, uh, uh, in this whole relationship with God that we're able to persevere in it. I wish I could tell you it was all going to be peaceful, beds of roses. It's not. In fact, I'll tell you a story to close out. A story of, of, um, of an art competition that was happening. And the challenge was pure and simple. Give us your best rendition of what peace looks like. Peace. So that's what they did. One artist took his blank canvas, began to paint, painted this beautiful meadow, this beautiful this beautiful. Uh, trail, this, this stream that was barely even rippling through and then had a, a father with a son holding hands, walking through the meadow, a beautiful sunset in the distance and it was peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was perfect. There's another guy. His canvas looked a lot different. His canvas was made of dark clouds, of a of a storm raging, of ominous skies that promised war to being thrust down on the earth. The oceans that were there were were tossing and turning and waves were billowing and the boats that were there and the people on it were were being tossed to and from everywhere about in the ocean. Everything absent of peace, except not in the center, not in the right, not where your eye naturally goes, but in the bottom left-hand corner of the painting was the, was the picture, was the painting of a little tree limb that came out and a bird was on that tree, on that limb. And there was one glimmer of light peeking through the dark, ominous clouds shining on that one little bird and the bird was singing. Guess which one won? Number two. Because that's the reality. I wish I could tell you that peace is this, the absence of war. No. War, struggles, pain, suffering will be all around us. But it's somehow in the midst of all of that, we have such a dynamic, awesome relationship with the God of the universe that in the day of adversity, we don't run and hide. We don't take pills and, and try to mask. We don't, no. In the day of adversity, we link up with God like we've never linked up with Him before. 
we consider God. Would you bow your head for a moment? And would you consider God? Just in a prayerful state, I want you to think in your heart about where you're at. I don't, I don't even have to prompt you. I know that. If, that. if you are living in one of those seasons of pain and suffering and injustice, inequality, if you're, you're living in this moment, I, you're there. Now, I want to ask you, Will you pause and not react? Will you pause and consider God? Maybe the question is to God, God, why? And maybe he'll answer you. Why? Why are you there? Why is this going on? Why? I don't know. Maybe it's going to be what? God, what do you, what do you want to do? What do I need to get rid of? What's dragging me down and keeping me from being all in? Take time. Consider God. Consider the one who can make straight what is crooked in your life. Consider the one who made you and said it is good. Father God, you know our hearts. You know our hearts, you know the pain that some are feeling right now. And Lord, in this room, there's people who need people to pray with them. And we're all going to stand and we're all going to sing and it's going to really seem like we're just kind of closing it out. But Lord, there's some, they need prayer. And so Father, I pray that they'll come to one of our prayer partners that'll be around the room. And they'll go and they'll just say, hey, just pray for me. I need help. I need healing. I need wholeness. Lord, give us the courage to end the day of adversity. Consider, reflect, connect with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.